Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com You're listening to the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Beaker System with Steve Statler. Our digital and physical worlds are colliding and Bluetooth beacon technology is at the center of a change that's going to impact everyone's experience with mobile phones. The world of the web used to be separate from the physical world, but now, thanks to beacons and a range of other location and proximity technologies, those worlds are converging. Bluetooth beacons trigger actions in smartphone apps when the phone comes into proximity with these tiny devices. These things are like confetti around us. They allow app developers to understand where people are with a precision that was impossible a few years ago. As apps become aware of our location, all the tools and techniques that Amazon uses to make their website so successful are going to be available to people that run brick-and-mortar retail stores, as well as to the operators of sports stadiums, hospitals and factories. Well, what are these techniques? They include the analysis of people's clickstream path through websites. Only now we can measure people's footsteps through buildings. We can understand who went into a store, where they went in the store, and how long they dwelled in the aisles looking at a particular product. From that analysis, experiences with staff holding tablets and what we see on the digital displays in a store can be personalized, just like on Amazon. Lastly, that patented one-click checkout from Amazon has a parallel in this world of digital-to-physical convergence, the no-click checkout, where your presence and identity can be verified so that you don't need to use your wallet or your phone to pay. The person at the checkout will know who you are and you'll simply be given what you want to pay for. My name is Stephen Statler and I just finished writing a book on this subject called Beacon Technologies, The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Beaker System. I spent a year interviewing the entrepreneurs at the centre of this revolution and it was great fun. These people are fascinating and they're working in startups and large companies all around the world and they're doing amazing work. Now the book is complete, we have a survivor's guide for people that want to understand this space and develop solutions that use the technology. 
but the ecosystem is still changing and developing. The goal of this series of podcasts is to help all of us in the Beacon ecosystem, or Beacosystem, keep up to date by talking with the leaders of the companies making these changes happen. We'll engage with a bunch of companies you may not have heard of, and some companies like Google that you know really well. I'll be asking questions to understand what these companies are doing, what their customers are doing, and what they think is going to happen next. So join me on the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Beco System. Welcome to the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Beaker System and the first in our series of interviews with people that are at the centre of location and uh, the proximity business. My name is Steve Statler, consultant at uh, Statler Consulting and the lead author on the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Beaker System along with over a dozen other contributors. And uh, what we want to do in this series is have in-depth discussions with people who are working in really interesting companies at the centre of the Beaker system. So today we're actually in London, um, uh, Old Street area just off of the Silicon Roundabout uh, and I'm with Chris Charles. Chris is with uh, Pointer or Pointer Labs, he's the Chief Operating Officer and we're here to talk a bit about what Pointer does. Uh, and we're going to also just get his views on what's happening in the Beaker system. So first of all, Chris, thanks so much for your time. I know that you're really busy. You were saying you've been up to like the small hours over the last few days. Yeah, we've had a couple of big things go live and some big tenders, so it's, it's been busy over the last couple of days. Well, that's good. And actually, one of the things I want to do is just later is talk a bit about where you see the market and how busy it is. But before we do that, can you just tell us a little bit about who Pointer Labs are, what you do? So Pointer are um, a beacon expert. Um, we, we do everything to do with positioning and data um, in indoor venues. So we start off with the Bluetooth beacons, which generates a position, which we do down to meter accuracy. We then layer on extra services so that you can um, interact with people based on intelligence, you can help them navigate, you can maybe provide audio assistance for people who have visual impairment, um, you can help people search for products and search for each other, um, and, and then obviously you're collecting data about everything that's going on, so we then help analyse that, be it heat maps, be it dwell times, be it um, what people are searching for and where people are visiting. So if I own a venue like an airport or I'm a retailer and I want a guide to the store or the airport that helps people find their gate, find the product, then you would provide the widget that goes into their app? Yeah, so, so we, have, we have an SDK that plugs in on iOS and Android, um, really easy to integrate with, kind of almost a couple of lines of code. Um, and you can, you can load a map with the full searchable database of products, you can interact with it and you're collecting all of the analytics at the same time. So how much of this business is driven by um, people who are developing apps that want to help people find stuff and how much of it is driven by that analytics piece that you were talking about? It, it varies a bit depending on the, the client um, and, the, and the market. Um, 
But what we tend to push for is, is a balance. I think if, if you're not providing a useful feature to a, an app or to a user, um, then there's no motivation for that user to ever interact or download the app. Um, at the same time, if there isn't any insightful data, um, then the, the venue driver is, is much less. So um, on a website, you collect everything about what pages, someone, what pages and products someone's looking at and, and how long they're spending on those products for retargeting, etc. Um, in store, there isn't anything of the same. Um, so, so you do need to get a balance of both. Um, one of the things that, I mean, this what you've just described is the one of the archetypal indoor location use cases. Um, in a massive store, I can't find the product I want. You can get someone to the shelf, presumably to the shelf, or certainly the department, probably the shelf to find what they're doing. Um, but I have never ever seen anyone do this. Do people actually do it? Or is it just because, is it a chicken and egg thing? Technology's not been ready so people don't do it. How, how many people are really using maps to find stuff in venues? I think uh, at the moment it's done a lot with asking store staff. Um, yeah. And I think in, in big stores it happens a lot more than you think. I mean, one, one store that we've got, we're working with, um, they have tens of people, sometimes hundreds of people, to help navigate and help direct people to the right area. Mm -hmm. um, so, so there is a lost efficiency point there, um, which obviously the app can help with. I think that people will start to use it more as well. I think, I think you're right that people don't necessarily do it because it's never been possible. Um, and, and now that suddenly you can, I think people will adopt it quite quickly. I don't know how many times you've visited the local Tesco, Sainsbury's, Waitrose, whatever it is, and gone, I have no idea where this product is. Yeah. Um, and you maybe spend a minute walking around, then you spend a minute finding a member of staff, and then the member of staff takes you there. Obviously, that could be a hell of a lot smoother, um, especially if it's a new store that you haven't visited before. Yeah, intellectually, that totally makes sense. And then I guess the our job as an ecosystem is to train people to trust, use that, people have to download the app. So can you point to any examples of kind of the leaders in this space where people are actually using that or is it just too early to point to someone who's, who's cracked it? Um, I don't think anyone has 100% cracked it yet. I think that the, the US is ahead of Europe at the moment. Um, there are a couple of big projects that are going live in Europe very imminently, um, some of our own. Um, and, and I think that over the next few months we'll really see it become, getting publicity. Yeah, that'd be fantastic. Um, who, who's using your product? Um, so we, we've got a range of people using our product in, in completely different markets. Um, so we've got a, a few, several retail customers, anything from big supermarkets through to um, big department stores or, or, or chains of, of wholesalers. Um, Airports big, is a big user of our, of our products, um, transportation in general, so train stations as well. Um, we've got a few factories. It's a really very wide field um, and, and every new customer that comes to us has a slightly different requirement or a slightly different um, take on what they want to do with the data or, or possibilities. You met, I was like nodding, expecting pretty much the verticals you were talking about, but then you said factories and I wasn't expecting that. What, what's happening in factories? Um, so, so I guess in the same way as understanding how someone is shopping, you, you can understand how people are working in a factory. Um, and you could look at it as a 1984 Big Brother-esque situation when you want to monitor exactly what someone's doing. 
but actually you can look at it proactively in a, in a positive way, which is every member of staff in a factory, every worker has um, a, a set of tasks that they need to do on a shift, and they need to keep visiting machines that break down, etc. Um, and at the moment, all the technologies out there are all focused on the machine monitoring the downtime, but it doesn't necessarily focus on all the times when the, the employee has to interact with the machine or, or keep it running or, or maybe tweak a setting. Um, actually, by collecting data about how people are moving around factory, you can be a lot more intelligent about the maintenance of them. So the factory worker knows how to get around the factory, they're not actually looking at a map at all, but this is looking at productivity, workforce management. And I, actually, I, I was talking to someone at, uh, I can't remember whether it was Pepsi or Coke, but it was one of those massive brands, and they said that they were interested in it from a safety perspective, just making sure that people are in the right place. So. Yeah, we've, we've got a few. We've got a few customers looking at it entirely from a safety, or not even entirely, but from a safety perspective. Yeah. Um, and and although it's it's obviously not a one hundred percent solution. It's not a. It's not a. Um, in case of emergency, we can guarantee this person is here. Um, but it's very good at saying, okay, well, we've got a ninety nine percent confidence that this is the case. Um, you only need someone to to leave their beacon or leave their phone, and, and then it become it can become inaccurate. But. Um, it's, it's definitely a, a big area of, of expansion. Well, that is the challenge, isn't it, with, with our technology in that you need a phone which has got a smartphone, so not one of the old phones. Like most people seem to have smartphones. Bluetooth needs to be turned on. Ideally, they've got an app yeah. installed. What are you seeing? What what are you seeing in terms of what's our what's the TAM that we can actually address? The, the, actually, not the total the, the song. If the total addressable market is everyone with a smartphone. How many people? What's the percentage that actually where we can tick the box and say? Um, I guess the app is a huge variable, and that's really down to whoever is creating the app and how good a job they do of creating value. But how many people have Bluetooth turned on and are likely to say, yes, I don't mean mine being tracked? I think there's a, there's a few points there. Um, firstly, there's, there's one part which is, well, what can we do without an app? And we've got a number of products that you can use um, kind of passively, so you can't identify anyone, you can't be personal, um, but you can collect. You, kind of visitor analytics to say, oh, well, we know there's this many people here um, by listening to devices. You don't actually need a huge number of people in order to collect some pretty valuable insights. So you don't necessarily need to have 90% data of, of your customers to, to be able to understand what's going on. Actually, 30, 40, 50%, even 5% can be hugely insightful. Um, the only thing you need to be careful of is, is there a difference between the 20% that I do have and the 80% that I don't have? Is, is one a technical user and, one's, and, those are, and the others are non-technical? Um, then you've got a bit of a difference of, like, okay, well, maybe I need to understand what the differences are between those users. Right. Um, in, in, insofar as, as um, uptake of Bluetooth and smartphones and, and the kind of serviceable users, um, I say that that's changing quite a lot. Um, we've seen even over the last even over the last year or, or six months, um, huge uptake in, in Bluetooth-based devices um, as everyone has more and more Bluetooth devices from headphones to Fitbits to Apple Watches, etc. People are finding more and more that leaving Bluetooth on um, isn't, isn't the end of the world. Um, and with Bluetooth Smart, so long as you're only using Bluetooth Smart, then it really doesn't take up more than a percent of battery life. That makes sense. Um, 
So let's talk a bit about the, the technology and the limits to what can be achieved with the technology as it is today. How accurate is accurate? What, how, how precise can you get? And do people really care about that? Is that an issue when you get in there? It seems like a kind of very, so it's such an obvious question, isn't it? You know, we want a lot of accuracy. Do people, what's achievable? And then maybe we'll go and ask what are actually people saying that they need and what do they really need? So, so we get down to a point where we get down to a meter accuracy. Um, we find that that gives a massive insight as to what someone is interested in. Um, if someone is stood in, in a clothing department of a, a store, you could be looking on one side at handbags and the other side at shoes, and obviously they're very different situations and very different retargeting options that you would have as a result of that. So there is a big benefit to having um, improved accuracy, and I do think there are a number of use cases where it's, it's vital. Um, Where is it going to go? How, how much accuracy do people want? Um, we have people regularly contacting us to say, can you do 30 centimeter accuracy? Um, do we think it's ever going to get there? Yes, sure, it will get there eventually. Um, it will be quite a long time away, I think, uh, yet. Um, and, and I do think that there are very few use cases where you really need that level of data. Um, just like there are, there are some use cases where you'd never need more than 10 meter accuracy. Um, it's just a case of understanding what suits the situation and the users and the venue. So what's an example of a use case where you do need sub-meter accuracy? Um, that, that people wanting to do positioning of, of drones. Um, so if you're flying a dr drone around and you're trying to get it to land, then obviously it needs to be very accurate about where it is. Mm -hmm. um, it, there, are, there are people who want it for positioning as well. Um, so, for example, understanding where everything is in an office, understanding where users are, a meter might be fine unless there's... There, there are people who've contacted us for all sorts of things that we never would have expected and, and we're not very necessarily even bought into the idea, um, but it's amazing what people want the accuracy for. So, do you, do, is part of your job to qualify your customers? I mean... Um, I wouldn't have said we're qualifying them, and I wouldn't have said that we're second-guessing them, but we maybe would um, give them the information they need to assess what is the right level of complexity, because as you get more accurate, you increase the complexity, maybe you increase the battery drain. Um, there, are, there are a set of factors that um, it's worth considering and understanding um, before, before really just saying, no, we want this. Um, and that's, that's, I think, our main job, to inform and advise. And battery drain on the phone or on the beacons? or um, Both. So, I mean, when you configure a beacon, you're configuring it with a set of settings. Um, depending on those settings, the battery drain will be different. Just like depending on the number of beacons you're listening to, depending on how intelligent you're being using those signals, the battery drain will be different on the phone. Um, and and the, the screen's obviously a big driver of that, so what you do in the background versus what you do in the foreground are quite big differences. And let's talk some numbers here then. How many beacons do I need to put in an office like this um, to get um, meter um, accuracy that's good enough to navigate my way around and find a table and a meeting room and, and that sort of thing? We would typically say you need a beacon every 200 square meters. Um, that, that's, that's a general rule. Obviously, there are variations depending on how intricate the rooms are, how thick the walls are, mm -hmm. how high the ceilings are. There's, there's tons of variables. Um, and again, that's one of the things that we're finding more people asking us about. Um, install, installing beacons to do something more intelligent than just 
sending a push message when you arrive at the venue actually requires a bit more intelligence than just sticking them. And is there like a height thing? Do you have to worry about being too high or not high enough? Um, yeah, so you want to be above head height because then you get less in interference from people, um, but being too high makes the signal harder to differentiate. Um, I won't go too much into details, it's, it's, our, it's our IP, um, right. but th there are definitely a, a, a set of bounds on what we'd say is the best position. And what about the process? How does it, how does it work? If I've got an app and I include your APIs, uh, what happens to kind of make the mapping happen and who's involved? And um, it's another one which really varies. Um, in, in some clients, we, we do everything. We do um, turning a CAD floor plan into, into a nice usable map, um, installing beacons, configuring them, setting it up, tweaking, testing, etc. We would do all that full process. Um, in others, it's either not achievable because they're international, it doesn't make sense for us to do it, or perhaps there's a hundred stores and, and they want to use their own workforce for it. Um, so, so we have a number of options where we can be flexible, be it training their staff um, and, and letting, the, the, letting the venue do the, to do the rollout, but um, we, we do the training. Um, and, and ditto even for the simplistic smaller cases where we can pre-configure the beacons, put dots on the map of where the beacons need to go and send it off. And then is there like a fingerprinting process, a survey, is there an app required to take the signals from the beacons? And so that's, that's one of the powerful bits of our, our technology that you don't need to fingerprint. Um, so with Wi-Fi, with Bluetooth, you obviously need to fingerprint in, in a number of cases. Um, we design it so that it doesn't need fingerprinting, which is really powerful when the venues are changing. So if you're moving around your displays or, or what's on your shelves, that obviously can affect the fingerprint um, and, and therefore require quite a lot of maintenance to keep up to date, um, whereas our technology doesn't need that. So, and just so that people understand, so fingerprinting is a nice metaphoric term, but it's not 100% clear what it is, but that fingerprinting would be, you've got an app and it's measuring the signal from the beacons and it's kind of taking account of well, you, maybe you yeah, should explain. So what does fingerprinting mean? Fing fingerprinting would be once you've installed the beacons, yeah. you then walk around the venue and collect the signal strengths in all the different parts of the venue. Yeah. Um, and that is a fingerprint of the venue. Um, and then when you calculate a position, you're matching matching your location with that fingerprint. Um, so it, it does require measuring the signal strength all around the venue and right. sometimes quite regularly. And that changes based on people moving stuff around and you don't need to do that? No. Okay. Yeah. All right. <laughs> um, so, well, that kind of, so you got me thinking about competitive options and so forth. So anyone that's going to, so this, this uh, video is being done in partnership with Proxbook and so this will appear, the video will appear on Proxbook as well as on the Hitchhiker's Guide site um, and people will come to Proxbook and it's kind of a, I think it's a huge benefit to the companies that are on Proxbook because there's some really large companies, folks like Unilever that come there to figure out who to do business with but the downside is they see all the other companies and it's mm. like, you know, it's even though I think we've done a really, the team there who've taken it over from me, have done an amazing job of making it clear. The challenge, I think, in any industry when you're making any buying decision is figuring out the difference between these products. So can you help me to differentiate what you do and don't do and maybe some competitive positioning to the, ex I know no one likes to name names, but 
you know, I would have put you in the same category as uh, in, in, indoors or indo RS uh, or next to me or, so, or, or, or someone like that. Can you help me differentiate what you do from what they do? I think that fingerprinting reference was maybe a reference to the indoors approach. Yeah, um, I'd say that some of our key strengths are one, accuracy, um, two, a kind of, of hand-holding almost, um, where we're much more involved with the, the installation and the process so that we understand it more rather than saying, here is an SDK, integrate it, work, do it, make it, make it all happen yourselves. Mm -hmm. um, whereas we're much more happy to help and advise and customize um, because there are a number of things that it, it is worth customizing and anything around um, data processing, privacy, etc. There's, there's lots of points there. So the customization part is big. Um, flexibility as well, so it's really easy to add, remove, change features. Um, I'd say that's, that's a big part. Um, it, it is difficult to, to kind of pick, pick out exactly what the differentiators are. Um, I would have said that we've got a, a more complete platform. Um, everything from um, the actual installation process all the way through to actually drawing conclusions out of the data. Uh, and we've got a couple of guys who can, guys that will go, guy and a girl, who can help draw conclusions out of the data and, and generate some actionable points from it as opposed to just saying this area is busier. Um, and, and I think that that complete journey through from installation to integration through to using it with to getting users to use it um, through to generating data through to processing it into a usable format through to actually making conclusions that that full journey is is quite important jewelry isn't a gift you give just once it's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well... HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. And I guess the, the challenge with and it's probably very important to do the hand-holding at this early stage in the industry, but the challenge then becomes scaling and, and so forth. How to Tell us a little bit about the company, I guess. Um, so how many people in the company? Where are you? I seems like you're a very cosmopolitan bunch with people around the world. Yeah, we're, we're pretty international. Um, we've got um, our, we've got our, our UK London head office um, where we've got four people plus um, a few part-timers who do everything from design to um, marketing through to whatever. Um, we've also then got our tech team based in Istanbul. Um, we've got kind of almost 20 people now. Uh, we've got salespeople around the world in, in, in big venues, in big locations with big venues. So be that Dubai, Canada, um, we've got one guy in the States, um, kind of all, all over really. <laughs> cool. And uh, where are you seeing 
the most business. I mean, it's actually interesting. I was looking at Proxbook before I came here, and uh, I think there's um, London, there's about 14 proximity companies. In the UK, there's over 30, so 10% of Proxbook companies are based in, in the UK. Where are you seeing the most business? Um, it's, it's hard to say. I'd say that because we're a London-based company, we definitely see and do more business in London. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're definitely seeing stuff come around the world. Um, I guess it, 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 it's all down to relationships, right? And, and getting information out there that helps differentiate, helps explain, helps understand how the technology could be used and applied to, to someone's situation. Um, so, so whilst I think that the, the States is a more advanced uh, location, um, I'd say that there's a lot of downsides of doing business in the States from an international business, mainly around all of the process. Um, and it becomes, it becomes quite difficult making sure you meet all of the, the kind of IRS requirements and tax requirements and everything else. Yeah. Um, so, so we're, we're, finding, we're finding loads of business in, in Europe and, and the Middle East. So let's just finish off the, the piece about what you do and don't do. And I think you've done a great job of explaining that core of the product. Um, it seems like, um, is it, and in the book we talk about um, an orchestration layer. So I would kind of fit what you do in what we call an orchestration layer, which is kind of making sense of all of the noise from beacons and, and, and coordinating and providing useful actions that an app can, uh, can use, it seems like one of the things that you don't do is make beacons, which is unusual. It seems like everyone makes beacons, but you don't. Um, I think to make a good beacon, you need to have a lot of time and dedication, um, and it needs to go through a lot of testing. Um, and I would have said that there are some great beacons out there already. Um, every beacon has its quirks and its intricacies, and choosing the right beacon is another important factor. Um, and, and that's somewhere where we would help advise customers. Um, but we don't see making a beacon as, as our, our key market, purely because there are enough out there, there is enough choice, um, and, and whilst they could be improved in, in some ways, that they're, they're perfectly good enough for us. And what do you look for in, uh, what's, what's the sign of a good beacon? Um, I, I would say that there's, there's a few points. There's reliability, so we want to have complete confidence that um, a beacon won't break, won't unexpectedly die, um, and will last its, its kind of intended shelf life. Um, I would have said that being easy to configure is important, um, being able to integrate with some of our configuration apps um, through an SDK. Um, working offline is, is quite powerful for us, quite important for us. Um, a number of our sites, it's very difficult to get an internet connection. A lot of our technology is designed so that it works, and that's another one of our competitive advantages, that it works offline. Um, you can get your position, you can get your navigation, etc. offline. Mm-hmm. And being able to configure that is quite important. Um, I would have said that battery life is a big consideration. Obviously, if, you're, if you've got an easy to maintain setup, then maybe changing the battery every 18 to 24, 30, 36 months um, isn't, isn't that much of a problem. But if you've got very difficult installation requirements, then having a four or five year battery life is, is vital. And it seems, my personal view of the Beacon ecosystem is it's benefited from all this hardware and it's kind of more competition is better. But my personal view is that there's gonna be a lot of people that are exiting the Beacon uh, manufacturer 
business or rebadging for some of the reasons that you talked about. It's kind of hard to do a really good beacon. And especially with Eddie Stone, standards improving, um, getting more comprehensive, it, 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 the pressure will be really on. Mm. on. Who, do you think are, who, who do you think the survivors are going to be in that space? Um, you don't need to be. We don't need a comprehensive list because we probably don't have enough time for a comprehensive list. But I, th- I think anyone who can provide a a reliable, um, customizable beacon will do well. I think um, Contact's got a great beacon that's very flexible, very easy to use. Um, I think that there are there are much longer battery life ones, and that's that's possibly a a, a weakness in the Contact proposition. I think there are, I'm not going to name names, but there are definitely some, some great um, new beacons coming on the market, solar panel beacons, uh, USB beacons, um, and, and, and quadruple A battery, quadruple double A batteries, mm-hmm. um, which, which obviously gives you a huge battery life. Um, so I'd say that it will, it will thin as a market, um, and we'll see, we'll see the ones who succeed as probably the ones who manage to define that key differentiator um, so creating a bog standard beacon with no with no customization or no special feature now i think will we'll, you will struggle so let's talk a bit about standards for, for for that layer for the beacon layer because it's it's been an interesting few weeks um, you know, for over two years we had iBeacon and then there was a bunch of proprietary stuff and now then Google came along with Eddie Stone, and then it seems like they've just upped the ante in the last couple of weeks with Eddie Stone EID, and probably as significantly, if not more significantly, standards around the management interface. So you can actually have a standard way of configuring beacons, which I think gives is going to unlock the shackles. Um, what, what's your view on the way the standards um, are going to go? Do you think do you think people are going to keep on using iBeacon? What? How do you think the battle between a Google and an Apple standard is going to play out? It's interesting. I mean, our CEO wrote an article around Eddie Stone. Um, it was probably middle late last year whether whether it would stay. Um, and I've still not seen any real uses of Eddie Stone in in large scale. And are, we, are you talking about Eddie Stone URL or Eddie Stone? EID, oh, I mean, which is essentially iBeacon. Yeah, it, it is essentially iBeacon. Um, even even URL, I've seen very few uses of it live, and I appreciate that. Is it takes time for people to um, take, test, adapt, customize, and put live. Um, but I, I do think that there's there's a, there's a real problem in in that area, which is um, the first the first mover advantage of iBeacon does a lot of things right. Um, and whilst it hasn't got everything right, I'd say that um, for something else to take over, it's got to be significantly better. Um, mm-hmm. And at the moment, the testing that we've done, I don't see Eddie Stone completely taking over. I think there will always be an iBeacon, a place for iBeacon in the market. Um, but it's, it's definitely interesting to see where it ends up and, and how people react to the, to the new technologies over the last over the next couple of months, um, especially as you say around the configuration of them. Yeah, so um, first mover advantage for Apple with iBeacon and had that incredible integration with the operating system. So kind of reawake apps that were dead, kind of bringing them back from the dead, um, which many other technologies can't do that uh, might compete with beacons. But 
I think one of the key things about Eddystone EID is at last we've got a standard way of doing conditional access, controlling yeah. who sees the beacon and who doesn't see the beacon. Uh, whereas before, that was entirely proprietary and that mm -hmm. locked you in to whoever's beacon you were buying. It was a platform and a platform owned probably by a startup, which is kind of a scary thing. Um, so that kind of brings me on to two, two things. Uh, first one is how important do you think this ability to manage who sees the beacon is? Who sees the beacon? Uh, and then the follow-on to that is um, how does that impact uh, mapping applications. Um, mm. We can go more into that second part if that's not. Yes, yeah, so I think I think the, the second part actually is is the answer to the first part, and that is how, how does how does how does the use case what does the use case require in the form of security? Um, and I think there are a number of applications when you really does it doesn't matter if someone else hears the beacon, um, if someone else gets a message and someone else and, and three other people get a message, then then that's that's not a, that's not a bad thing. In other situations, obviously, it's absolutely vital that you're sending a message to a user or interacting with a particular person. Um, so I think there's a huge bit that is um, use case dependent on that security. Um, and, and again, another one of the things that we will help discuss with, with clients, um, understand what that requirement is. Um, as, as far as mapping goes, I'd say that the, the security point for us is um, largely focused around what internet connection, what connectivity requires to, to manage that security. Um, and, and a lot of the security applications on the internet or with, with the manufacturers require internet in order to decode, or perhaps they can cache maybe a week's worth of codes, mm -hmm. um, all of which requires data and requires storage on the phones, etc. Um, so, so we see that there's, there's a big, uh, still a bit of a gap in um, getting the security right so that you don't need an internet connection the whole time. I don't know how many times you've visited a, a supermarket or, or a big shopping center and gone, I've got no connection, and maybe the Wi-Fi is flaky or whatever. It, as soon as you start layering all of those things onto each other, it becomes a real pain to, to manage and a pain for users to use, at which point they stop. But it seems like, as an industry, we have to help solve that problem because Yep, you're going to have beacons like in an environment like this. So we don't care who sees the beacons in this office. But if I'm an um, uh, electric white goods manufacturer, last thing I want is my competitors triggering off of a beacon that I put in the televisions or the refrigerators. That would be probably, I'd lose my job if, if I'm the app guy and I've done that. And so it seems like if we can't solve that, then we're going to really hold back broad-based deployment, because you know, we're talking about multi-million dollar projects, aren't we? If yeah. it's really over thousands of stores, and once it's in there, and some, suddenly there's a headline that you just enabled Amazon to compete with you, it's, your share price is going to be impacted. So if we don't solve that, then there's a real problem. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I would, I would agree. There's, there's a number of situations where it's absolutely vital to have that requirement. Um, I, I guess it, it, it's, down to, it's down to the brand, it's down to the use case. Um, but th there are situations, I mean, anything, there's, there's some interesting new use cases coming through with payments, for example, obviously payment security is absolutely crucial. So um, having, that, having that security layer is, is, is definitely going to be a, a growing part of the solution. So, so your clients include airports, is Heathrow Airports on your website, so presumably they're, are they a customer or a partner? Um, we're, working with, we're working with Heathrow at the moment, yeah. So 
what do they do in terms of encryption? Because on one hand, if I'm the IT guy at Heathrow, I'm going to go to my boss and say, I, I want some money for a Beacon project. And they're going to say, well, how does that help the passengers and how am I going to cover the costs? Can I make some money? Because Heathrow's an expensive thing to run. So, or change the airport to whatever airport you, you want. So it seems like they're stuck with this competing thing. On one hand, I would like to charge people to access my beacons. On the other hand, I want a utility that is available for everyone, especially for navigation. And it seems like Apple and Google are starting to use beacons in their Maps products. So if I'm like scrambling my UUIDs and MAC addresses, then in some ways I might be undermining the experience of someone who's just using Google Maps. Uh, on the other hand, I want to charge Cadbury's and Starbucks and everyone else who has an interest in addressing my passengers. So, how do what, what, what's your is that really a dilemma or is it is it not? And how, um, what do you do if you're a venue owner? So, so I think it depends. Again, it depends on the situation. I think that um, if if you're an airport, then it's worth bearing in mind throughout all of this that to trigger an to trigger a message on an app, you need to have an app installed, um, and that is a big challenge. So um, I don't know if if um, Starbucks wanted to advertise in Costa, for example, then um, you'd need to have the Starbucks app and be in a Costa. And Starbucks have worked out what beacon is in the Costa and mapped it and ensured that it's not changing. There's there's a lot of requirements there, mm -hmm. and also it is is very clear what they're doing in the fact that they're doing it. So I think that um, that actually that actually drives a, a big negative of people doing it because you're then associating your brand with um, potentially stealing stuff or, or interacting in a way that they maybe don't want to be interacted with. Um, so so there, there are some drivers that will, I think, change, change those requirements. Um, but it doesn't change the fact that, yes, there are situations in, in, um, in airports, for example, when you definitely wouldn't want anyone using, using a network of beacons because you've got to make money from it somehow. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I think that, that decision comes down to the venue and, and we'll, we'll do our best to, to advise that, that decision. Um, how, what happens as the map product? So we talked about you need to have an app installed. The one app that everyone has installed is Apple Maps or Google Maps or sometimes both. Mm. Um, how does that impact your company's future? I'm sure this is probably the first time you've been asked that question. <laughs> yeah. Um, we, we don't see it as a problem at the moment. Um, we're more than happy for Google and Apple to, to try and do some mapping indoors. Um, at the moment, a lot of what they've been focusing on is Wi-Fi based because it is more widespread um, and actually probably varies less. And, and if, if you've got, as you say, people who've got some rotating um, UIDs or rotating Bluetooth details, it suddenly makes it very difficult and actually incorrect for um, someone to to monitor that and use it for positioning if you don't have the venue's permission because it can change. Um, so we see Apple and Google going into bids with us and, and we come out on top purely because of a few things, partly the, the flexibility. Um, if you want to update your map on Google Maps, then it can take a long time for that to happen. It can be can be almost a month and a half or so, in some situations we've seen. Um, in addition, you want to add a beacon, you want to change some messaging, etc. You can't do that because you don't have the you don't have the app. And, and the most important point of all is is the data. Um, uh, there was a really interesting article about Foursquare predicting um, 
uh, US chains um, revenue growth or, or decline in this situation purely because of footfall. Um, and and if, if, a, if a venue is giving away that data to Google or Apple by saying, here, use, use, your, use your positioning engine in our store, um, then actually you've, you've, you've given away a huge amount of data that's hugely commercially valuable. Um, and we see that that is a situation that's not going to change in the near future because no, no John Lewis, no whatever it is, is going to want to give away their data to Google or Apple who can then either sell it back to them <laughs> or, or, or use it in, in kind of market intrusive ways. So there's clearly huge value in the data and maybe that's one reason why Google is investing such a lot in Eddystone because that work doesn't come for free. And it sounds like one thing that I could do as a venue owner is, uh, you know, if I want that data and I don't want to give it for free to, to Google and Apple is I can use um, some kind of conditional access layer, uh, rotation of the UIDs, and I could use your product and that way someone wants to navigate, go to the retailer app, go to the airports app, uh, they can find out what they need to in terms of location and you get control of the data. Yeah. Um, all right. So, uh, how how long have you guys been doing what you've been doing? So we started um, about three years ago now, almost um, when we first when Beacons first came on the market, um, and, and we were we were almost doing the first testing of Beacons as they came on the market. Obviously, that's evolved over time, uh, and we've we've grown over that time as well. Um, yeah. <laughs> so big. Uh, so over that time, um, what's what are the biggest surprises? What are the things that you were expecting that didn't happen, or things that you weren't expecting that did happen? Ah, good question. Um, I would say that the things that we didn't expect were a continually new use case appearing in our inbox every every few weeks um, that we hadn't thought of, hadn't hadn't planned, or didn't expect. Um, some of the things that we did expect, we did expect that beacons would be big. They, they do enable a huge number of use cases. They do enable in-store uh, in, in experiences and, and kind of shop bricks and mortar experiences to actually catch up with some of the things that you can do online. Um, and, and we see that that's, that's the only way that, in, in retail for example, that's the only way that it's really going to keep on surviving is by starting to make the experience as smooth and easy as it is online. Um, the fact that Amazon have clicked to order on, on a product it is, is a super smooth, super easy experience and it arrives two days later or a day later or even an hour later. Um, in store, you still can't even find a product necessarily. Yeah, sometimes people, when I'm trying to explain what beacons enable you to do. I talk about what's well, digital to physical convergence and that really doesn't mean anything so I get puzzled looks. So then I, what I say is well everything that Amazon can do online retailers should be able to do in their store whether it's search, personalization, one-click checkout and essentially it's that and, and what I have heard is that retailers uh, are going through a sea change in terms of who's managing them and it's actually the digital guys, the people that run the websites that are Start starting to make the decisions, and they're looking for, you know, where's my uh, foot stream analysis to go with my click stream analysis? Are you seeing that? Yeah, definitely. Uh, I mean, so so we, we actually found a, a year ago that retail was as dead as the market, and there was such cut downs and cutbacks on on budgets that it, it did go very quiet. 
Um, and I think now that, that has changed and, and, there, and a lot of retailers are understanding that actually now is the perfect time to invest and to position yourselves ahead of the competitors um, and, and do something new and innovative and, and make your shopper's experience better. Um, obviously this is just retail but it applies, it applies to, to every, every market really. And last question, which is one that I want to play with asking everybody to see how that works, which is, you know, what advice would you give to someone thinking of starting a, a, a beacon business, beacon in the broadest sense, software, hardware? Um, I'd say that we, we, see, we see new people in the beacon environment um, on a weekly basis almost. So the key thing is finding yourself a differentiator. Um, be that in hardware, finding yourself a differentiator, be that in software, finding yourself a unique use case or a set of clients who you are 100% focused on. Um, find something that helps differentiate yourself from the sea of beacon companies that are appearing. Very good. Okay, Chris, well, I really appreciate your time. Thanks for being our first uh, interview subject. Uh, it's been really interesting. Um, and thanks everyone for participating in the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Beacon System and, and the Proxbook System. I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.